that both of these men said they were a little intimidated by me and they didn't want to disappoint. See if we can go three for three when we talk to Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmund Journal. Uh, Bruce, you're not intimidated by me in any way, are you? Intimidated? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. That voice kind of gets my attention and, you know, brings me brings me in line a little bit. But uh, no, no. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I'm always afraid you're going to bring up April 8th, 1971. So you probably have the hammer on me. Delavo from Provost, eleven twenty-eight at double overtime, sixty-nine. That's that's my hammer card on you. Oh my God, <laughs> I remember that game too. Thanks, Bruce. How um, about you do? <laughs> so I got up this morning and I went for a walk, and there was a gigantor moon. So I don't know what uh-huh. it was called or what it is, but was that a big moon or was it just low tide uh. being overwhelmed? Well, well, it's a beginning moon, but uh, it is not quite. Oh, yet, but it will be in a day after tomorrow. Okay. Oh, Saturday. Saturday, but it's mighty big and and, uh, uh, and beginning by the day. Well, I... Waxing waxing gibbous. You can tell Gregor. Okay. Uh, Well, I sang that's amore. (laughs) That's how big it was. So it was a very large moon today. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you will know this, that uh, Nuge is ill. Fogel was on the top line at practice. McLeod was with Leon. We're through the looking glass here, Bruce. Although I will say, I like McLeod with Leon. He seems to be, Leon has the puck more. He gets mm-hmm. to McLeod. McLeod gets a good shooting situation. Obviously scored a goal the other day. What are your thoughts on Fogel and McLeod moving up? Well, my thoughts are when Nuge is out, you got a bunch of guys moving up because Nuge is the one guy on the entire team who's on the first unit at even strength on the power play and on the penalty kill. And so he, uh, you know, he leaves a few holes uh, in uh, uh, his, if he is unavailable for tonight. And so ideally, that's how you address it, is by giving multiple guys, because there's no one guy that's going to do all those things. I guess McLeod comes closest, but uh, uh, I think, um, you know, they're going to have to sort of mix and match a little bit. And to answer Reed McLeod specifically, yeah, him and Dreisaitl, that is a real nice uh, combination because McLeod, he's just so fast. Yeah. And he's always moving. You know, even when he's gliding, he's like one stride away from what seems like full speed. And he skates as fast going towards his own end as he does towards the other team's end. Uh, So he's very regularly in very strong defensive position. And especially on the line with Dreisaitl and Kane, I like that's an invaluable asset to bring to the line. And any offense on top of that, which he does have some, is uh, um, bonus, really. I always think of McLeod. And, you know, remember when Gretzky would get, there'd be somebody acquired for whatever, and they'd put him on Gretzky's line. He'd score like uh-huh. seven goals in 10 games. And you go, okay. Uh-huh. And then they'd trade him off. Like guys like Dreisaitl and McDavid, they just, they elevate everything. They float all boats, right? Well, they do uh, offensively for sure. And it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that they're not giving up too much uh, the other way. Like the other night, there was a play with uh, where they had the, 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 the heart line uh, all out there, and McDavid and Dreisaitl were deep in the zone, and Corey Perry wound up being the high forward, and he just didn't have the boots to cover the play. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you want to you want to find that kind of balance. I, I mean, I can guarantee you that play would have had a different outcome had Ryan McLeod been in the spot where Perry was just because he would have been able to skate to it. So that's, uh, you know, the challenge is finding that uh, finding that balance and uh, also finding the balance between McDavid and Drysaddle. Do you want them together? Do you want them apart? And uh, the flexibility to do either is a real weapon that uh, uh, Oilers coaches have enjoyed for years. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. There's 55 minutes until the end of the show. Uh, you have the rest of the allotted time to solve the PK. Go. Yeah, PK. Well, <laughs> this is where Nugent Hopkins, uh, if he isn't available tonight, they get to try some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever they've been trying lately has not been working. I think they're 10 for the last 20. Yes. Uh, 10, you know, 50% in the last six games. And it's, uh, the good news is that they've, been, they've come up with some big kills towards the end of games. Uh, but I know at least one case where they gave in two, the first two, and then they finally killed off the third one. And uh, the game the other night was similar. Where, you know, they got the late kill at that kind of put the game away at Arizona, but man, oh man, it's, it's full of holes. Uh, they're getting crushed on the face-off dot, it seems like. And four or five of those goals easily were scored uh, first unit against first unit penalty kill, where Oilers just never could get the puck out of their zone even once. Sometimes it took five or ten seconds, sometimes it took a minute, but whatever. The, the puck was just cycling and until it wound up in the net. And so something's got to change. They got to, they got to do better on the dot. Uh, Leon is sort of their uh, their ace in the hole. There. I was just looking it up. Leon's played 38 minutes of. Uh, basically, uh, he's played 13 percent of the minutes on the penalty kill, but he's taken 28 percent of the faceoffs. So you know they're putting him out there for that specific purpose. Ideally, he wins them and uh, they get it down and he changes, you know, but uh, uh, less than ideally, if they lose the draw, he's not that great of a penalty killer. So uh, I guess in the perfect world, you go out and you find that right shot uh, centerman who's ace on the draw and a great penalty killer and uh, and you get him in a trade from, you know, for a song, obviously, in a perfect yeah. world. Yeah, well, I, that would be, <laughs> I love it, Bruce, such a simple solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't we, that how it's done this time of year? I, I wasn't <laughs> going here, but we he's been brought up many times. And I know that, like you said at the beginning, you know, Nuge is the guy in all, you know, three, like, game situations. He plays in mm-hmm. them, including on the top line, and yet... I, I often read people say, well, Nuge is no good. Nuge's fading. Nuge's not, you know, he can't help us. And I I, I sometimes, like, I, I, I mourn for our youth because I just think that, that, like, if you can't see, Nuge to me is the guy that, that who was, like, one of the number one overall picks who actually almost, not that he could do everything because he had to learn on the job, but, but uh-huh. he's instinctively able to play away from the puck in an intelligent way. He just seems to always have had that. Doesn't mean he's always going to have success. There are moments where he tries to execute and cannot. But, but mm-hmm. the, like, for me, he's like a future coach because he, he thinks the game so well, and because of that, mm-hmm. he's often near the puck and on the right side of the puck when he's not possessing the puck, and that has value. It has a whole lot of value, and, and Nuge, to me, you know, what he's proven over the years is that he's not a line driver, uh, but he is a wonderful support player. 
and he can deliver that from center or from wing. Uh, I think he's been more effective, honestly, as a wing, which I never would have guessed that because when I watched him, even when he was with Red Deer, I watched him a bunch of times, and he seemed like the perfect center in terms of how he played his position. Uh, but he's also turned into a pretty darn good uh, winger in terms of, as you say, play away from the puck, being in the right spot, and his ability to you know sort of join up plays, take a pass, and then deliver it somewhere else where it's going to do. This really shows up on, on the power play where you know he's a... Uh, a very strong player and uh, uh, a big part of the reason Oilers' power play has been so good these last several years now. Um, he's uh, he t- t- The best comp I have for him is Patrick Marlowe. Uh, and remains so. He was drafted as a center, but he, you know, he got much better in his late 20s when they shifted him to wing because they had a ton of other centers like Joe Thornton and... and uh, and uh, Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture, you know, and they could sort of mix and match guys. And, and uh, Marlowe frequently was the second best player on his line, uh, and he excelled in that position. And uh, Nuge has got, I think, sort of a similar uh, career path that, uh, that Marlowe had, and he was a hell of a player. Bruce, I believe you wrote, and I've not read it, and I'll be honest with you because I just saw it when I was on the air, but I believe you wrote something about Connor Brown. I had a question to ask you. Mm -hmm. I said, is there any hope for Connor Brown? So maybe you can Mm -hmm. extrapolate on my question and talk about what you wrote on your article about Connor Brown. Okay. All right. Well, it was an article at the Cult of Hockey written by David Staples and not by me. Okay. Um, But I agreed with much of what, uh, what David wrote. Uh, and what he said was that, uh, you know, that he, he conducted a poll yesterday where basically two-thirds of the respondents said that Brown couldn't help the Oilers. And David pointed out that one person was very strongly in his corner, his coach Chris Knobloch, uh, and he gave extended quotes from, from Knobloch talking about, you know, what Brown can do. How, you know, his scoring totals obviously are disappointing. Uh, he's had some bad luck, you know, posts and phenomenal saves and disallowed goals, but the fact remains he's got zero goals. When his history su- suggests he should have close to 10 goals and, and, and over 20 points, but... 44 games played and he, he and I and Coach Knobloch all think that Brown is still going to be a player who can help the Oilers down the stretch and and in the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, obviously the injury took a lot more out of him than uh, was hoped and maybe he's done, you know, and that's uh, not impossible, but uh, I, I see promising things from the player. I think he's pretty good on the penalty kill. Uh, he's a decent defensive player, give or take the goal that Harley got the other day, which was a mistake. Yes. Uh, but those are rare. Uh, and it's just a matter of, I mean, that production, you know, it's hard. You can't get any worse than zero, but at a certain point, you'd think it's got to turn around. This is a guy that's, you know, scored, uh, on, you know, one goal every five games, or sorry, one goal every five games in his career. And he's got none in close to 50 games. So explain that. I can't. Uh, Can uh, have we talked about the second periods? We can. I got numbers. Okay. Well, (laughs) give it to me because, like, I I always feel like whenever I identify these things, it's like Brett Saberhagen winning 20 games every Mm -hmm. second year. As soon as you Uh identify it, it goes away. But this damn Uh second period just keeps hanging out, Bruce. Yeah, well, it's actually getting worse, worse, worse. Uh, on the season, the Oilers are minus two in the second period and plus 21 in the third. 
Uh, but <clears throat> that's actually gotten much worse in the last five games. Uh, Oilers outscored their opponents six to three in the first period. Been outscored thirteen to four in the second period. This is five, <laughs> five periods of hockey. Thirteen goals against to four, and then they've turned it around to pound their opponents ten three in the third, and also one nothing in the one brief overtime they played. Man. So, it's just it's absurd, and uh, you know our our data supports it, and we do uh, um, uh, analyze grade A chances, and the orders are pushing you know fifty seven, fifty eight percent, right around where they are in expected goals, high danger chances. Even though we're 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 using uh, different formula for what we're looking for, but the, you know they're right up in the high fifties, which is real good, and yet in the second period of the last. Uh, uh, the last five games, it was 22-4 and 39 against. Wow. So, again, like more than half of the five of the grade-A chances that they'd allowed in those games came in the one period, which is, you know, by my math, a third of the game. So, it's just shocking. And it's, I mean, games like the other day, it was like the Bakersfield Condors played the second period and they sent the whole team down in the intermission and they changed jerseys and the Edmonton Oilers showed up for the third. It was this night and day between in, in Arizona on uh, on Monday. Yeah. Is it because I always, you know, typical fan, I'm like, okay, they're, they're, their line changes are bad. They're out too long, all that stuff. Uh, I noticed that they're pinching, but I, they do that in every period, and they get caught on that. Do you have any uh-huh. theories aside from line changes and and shifts too long? Uh, season too long? Yeah. You know, I think they've just kind of hit a flat spot, and there's, you know, players that we're not accustomed to see making mistakes, like Matthias Ekholm has been jumping off the screen at me for making real bizarre pinches. Yeah. At yeah. the bar, on the sideboards and center ice zone and getting beat, and chaos ensues. And he's not, you know, he's. I mentioned his name specifically because he's an unlikely culprit, but he's been one. And there's just been some some little bit of poor decision making, maybe a little less uh, 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 circumspect handling of the puck at the blue lines, and not enough coverage from the forwards. Like when the defenseman makes a mistake, well, it's a Two on one because there's you know no forward in frame, and it, you know that's uh, that's always some bad news. It was in the early part of the season, and right now it's uh, it's a thing. And you know especially in the second period, that long change. I mean every team has to deal with it, and it is a huge factor in games that I think a lot of fans don't account for. Like there's more scoring in the second period, shifts are longer. There's uh, there's uh, a number of effects because that far bench is a long way away for the for the defenseman on the penalty box side to get to, and also the near bench is a very short trip into the offensive zone by the opposing team if they happen to be cycling the puck. Well, those same factors should work equally both ways, but for whatever reason, that second period has just been a, a real struggle for Edmonton. It's, I, honestly, I think it's a focus thing more than anything else. And yeah. I think, well, we can win, you know, when it comes down to down to crunch time, we can, you know, bear down and win this thing, and often they do. So it's hard to be, you know, they've won four out of their last six with the crappy penalty kill and the bad second periods. I've still won four out of six. Yeah, it's it's uh, 
Well, they're a wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do wonder, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So, uh, Bruce, you have a great week. I got five more questions, but we got to go. Thank you. Okay. Well, my favorite rom-con, I had to long think about it, and I think it comes down to it's between the fifth element and Groundhog Day. Hmm. Guy gets girl at the end of both, so yeah, I was well, a happy ending. And, you know? the, and what happens to the groundhog, Bruce? <laughs> he kind of blows up in one scene, but he lives to fight another day. Well, so. you know, it's only a movie. Or the, same, the same day. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Alan. Have All a right. great week. You too. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal.